Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And uh, as you go there, that music was just kind of soothing and peaceful. And uh, felt like I was in a coffee shop looking out onto a snowy street, right? So we're going to go to Luke chapter 1 this morning. And we've already read the passage. And so the title of the message is The Song of the Virgin. The Song of the Virgin. You know that it's Christmas time. You know that it's that season because the day after October 31st, on, all the, on different radio stations, you begin to hear Christmas music being played. For some people, that's way too early. And for some people, that could start even before November 1st. But we love to sing and listen to music at Christmas, don't we? We do. And as one of perhaps your favorite Christmas songs puts it, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And it's interesting because some years ago, renowned atheist Richard Dawkins, perhaps you've heard of him, atheist, lives in England, He was being interviewed, and he had this to say about Christmas songs. And I quote, and I believe the quote will be up there for you. Richard Dawkins, reflecting on Christmas and what he does at Christmas time, he said this. He said, I actually love most of the genuine Christmas carols. I can't bear Jingle Bells and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And you might think from that that I was religious, that I can't bear the ones that make no mention of religion or faith or Christianity. But I just think that they are dreadful tunes and even more dreadful words. I like the traditional Christmas carols. Isn't that interesting? That an atheist says that. Maybe you join him in your distaste for Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and all of that stuff. But I find it interesting because Richard Dawkins, like many unbelievers, enjoys Christmas carols because of the tunes they carry, not the truth they contain. Because of the tunes they carry, but not the truth that they they contain. And we as Christians love to sing Christmas songs because of the Christ that they celebrate who was born to the Virgin Mary. And actually, the first Christmas song was sung and actually composed by Mary, the mother of our Lord Jesus, to express her joy over the gospel, the good news that she was going to become with child and give birth to the Son of God. And you see this song written for us In Luke chapter 1, verse 46, all the way through verse 45, or 55. But the question that I want to ask in the very beginning, before we look at Mary's song, is I I want to ask us this question, what prompted Mary's song and celebration? In other words, if Mary was keeping a journal 
writing down thoughts and ideas and experiences. I don't know if you keep a journal. I, I have usually always a notebook and I'll just write down, I'll write down thoughts and ideas that, that will either be turned into essays or papers or sermons. And, and so I wonder if Mary kept a journal. What two things leading up to what here is in Luke's gospel is Mary's song of praise. What were the two things that would have led up to this? And there are two things actually. One is found in Luke 1 verse 26 to 38. I'm not going to read that for you, but if you go back to verse 26, you'll see that in the sixth month of the angel, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. And just listen, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And so I'm sure that Mary would have reflected deeply upon this encounter with the angel. And in verses 26 through 38, the angel Gabriel appears to her with an astonishing message. And to summarize, she will conceive a son, and he will be the son of the Most High, Gabriel tells her. Now, at first, she is struck by sheer fear, and her stunned response is this, how can this be, seeing that I am a virgin? Now, Mary would have been around 14, 15 years of age at this time. I have a, I have a 15-year-old daughter. And when I think about this scene, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just blown away by it. So Mary's response is legitimate. How, how can this be? Number one, that's not naturally possible because she is not, she had not at this point, had not entered into marriage and she had, 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 did not know a man, Joseph specifically, had, had, had not had sexual relations with him. So her response is definitely a legitimate response. How can this be? seeing that I'm a virgin. How is that possible? And the angel explains that the child will be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit will overshadow her and then unlike all other children ever born, her son will be born the Son of God, fully divine and fully human. And just to illustrate to Mary that something larger is unfolding In God's plan, Gabriel tells her that her cousin Elizabeth is also pregnant in her old age. And over the course of the conversation, it's just beautiful, because Mary moves from fear through questions to faith, fully surrendering herself to the Lord's gracious purposes. I am your servant, so let it be. It shows that faith in many, in many cases is gradual and it grows the more revealed truth is impressed onto our souls. So in other words, Mary just doesn't jump out of the gate and say, oh wow, okay, I believe that. Instead, she has questions. She's struggling through, grappling with what's taking place. And the fruit of this faith is a resting trust in Jesus and surrendered life to the will of God. That's the first thing. That would have prompted Mary's song. The second thing would have been the visit to Elizabeth's house. Look at Luke chapter 1 verse 39. In those days Mary arose and she went with haste to the hill country. To a town in Judah. And she 
she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So given that she was told her, her cousin also was with child, she with haste goes up to the high country, to the, the, the hill country, to inquire of Elizabeth what's going on. Elizabeth was the wife of Zechariah the priest, and she was also pregnant in her barren old age. So what you have here are two pregnancies that would bring an end to the first covenant and usher in the promise of the new covenant. Both pregnancies miraculous, one miraculous but still natural in its means. That is, in Elizabeth's case, it's miraculous because the Lord opens, it opens her womb and enables her to become pregnant, but the pregnancy occurs between her and her husband, Zechariah. And in Mary's pregnancy, it is miraculous, but it is supernatural. It is supernatural because the Holy Spirit overshadows her, and the result of the Holy Spirit is that she becomes with child. The second, in Mary's case, had never happened before. And it will never happen again. There will be, never be a, another virgin birth. Elizabeth, her cousin, carried the forerunner of the Messiah named John. And Mary carried the Messiah. And it's beautiful because as Mary enters into the room of Elizabeth's house, suddenly everything begins to come together. Elizabeth, six months pregnant, feels her son leap in her womb. And look at the text in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb, notice the baby is a baby, a being, a human life, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That word leap is the same word in other places in Scripture that would refer to the movement uh, the, of an animal becoming excited, suddenly, suddenly excited and then leaping and running. The point of it is, is that the leaping that takes place in the womb is not just the natural movement of a developing child, but John, in Elizabeth's womb, leaps, the scripture says, with joy as he hears Mary's voice. Joy of Christ coming into the world. And read closely what Elizabeth exclaims at the very end. She exclaims with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blesses the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, listen to this, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Jesus Christ brings joy. And blessed is he, is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to the Lord. Now, listen, set this up in your mind. Mary, as she encounters Elizabeth and the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps for joy, suddenly this young teenage girl realizes that something incredible is actually taking place. And I don't mean that she didn't believe that before, but it's becoming reality. It's becoming reality. And in verse 46, it says, and Mary said, now we don't know when Mary said this. Maybe she said this as she's still in Elizabeth's home, or, or maybe she says this as once she gets home and she writes these words down. And of course we know that these words as recorded by Luke are, are divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit. But what I think is beautiful is, is that remember, Elizabeth exclaims 
Blessed is the fruit of your womb in excitement. The song of Mary is a deep contemplation of what God is doing. And as Mary thinks about this, as she contemplates, there's a connection in Mary's soul uniting what has happened to her personally with all the promises God has made to his people throughout all the centuries of the first covenant. Everything that God has said in the law and the prophets and in the wisdom books, suddenly Mary is realizing that it's now happening and she is at the center of it because she is going to carry the Messiah and give birth to him. And as she thinks about this, what happens? From the depths of her soul, a song springs. And her song echoes themes that are found throughout the Old Testament. If you go to 1 Samuel 2 and read of Hannah's song, who became pregnant with the prophet Samuel and gave birth to him in her old age and even in her, I mean in her barrenness. And so it is clear that she now realizes something is happening to her far greater than any woman in Israel's past. She carries the long-awaited Messiah and then the song, it, 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 she springs into song and it, this song is called the Magnificat, beginning in verse 46. Look at the text. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in, my, in God my Savior. The word Magnificat is a Latin word and it means this. It's derived from the Greek word magnificent. It means to tell or to magnify, to enlarge, to proclaim the greatness of the Lord. And how do you do that? In a song. This is Mary's song about her magnificent God. And nothing could be more magnificent than God sending his son into the world. So everything that Mary's experience has led to this, this song of praise and the keynote that we want to take away from this song this morning is this. We sing with joy of the great things God has done for us by sending his son into the world. That's what we want to leave here doing today, singing about all the great things that God has done through sending his son. And we want to learn more of these great things by looking at Mary's song. There are three magnificent things in this song that God has done not only for Mary, but for every believer who has embraced the good news of the gospel. He has shown favor, he has extended mercy and strength, and he has kept his promises. Those are the three things that you're going to see in this song. So let's look at the first. He has shown favor. Look again at the text. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for because he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, for now on, all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. Now, the reason I use favor, favor means kindness. And Mary is saying that God has shown her favor or kindness in three ways. One, he looked upon her humble state. See it in the text? Notice that Mary recognizes God 
as her Savior. Do you see that? You should underline it. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary puts all the attention on Yahweh, on God. And in doing so, it means that not only is she a servant of the Lord, but she is also a sinner saved by grace. My Savior. Mary's Savior is the Lord, the Sovereign One. The true and living God who has saved her soul. She starts with that. And the God of her salvation has looked upon her with pity, with kindness. To be the unlikely mother to carry the Savior of the world. Now do you get this? Do you, do you see how unlikely this really is? She is not who anyone would expect. I've already said it. She's a teenage girl. She's a teenage girl. And not only that, she is a virgin. Not only that, she does not, she is not a, she, she is from an obscure town called Nazareth. She is not a princess and did not live in a palace. She does not have a fortune and she does not have a family pedigree. She is a nobody from nowhere with not much. There's nothing intrinsic, hear me, there's nothing intrinsically with about her, intrinsic about her that qualifies her to be the mother of the Messiah. Why marry grace? That's why. And that's what she's getting at. There's no intrinsic, intrinsic reason that Mary should be the mother of the Messiah. And she recognizes her lowly, humble state as all true believers should recognize their humble, lowly state. I mean, to that degree, we should always consider the fact that we are nobody from nowhere with nothing to offer God. And the reason that we're in His kingdom... It's because of his sovereign grace that chose us, that saved us, and that placed us into his family and his kingdom. You see, that's where salvation really begins. It begins with recognizing that there is nothing that qualifies me for God's kindness. There's nothing that qualifies me for God's favor. Mary notices that not only in relationship to salvation, but her role in God's bigger redemptive plan of sending a Savior. But secondly, she tells us, or she states in this song, that God has shown her favor because he secures a lasting honor for her. Look at the text. It says in verse 48, For behold, now from now on all generations will call me blessed. All generations will call me blessed. She, God has secured for her a lasting honor. All generations. This does not mean that people will worship Mary. Did you hear what I said? It does not mean that people will or should worship Mary. It doesn't mean that she is setting herself to be deified as a goddess, as taught by the Roman Catholic Church. It means that all generations, and write this down, it means that all generations will recognize her unique role as the mother of the Lord Jesus. In other words, there's nothing sacred about her, but there is something special about her. Did you hear that? There's nothing sacred about her, but there's something special about her. 
Because think about this. And especially if you're a woman and you have, you have given birth to children and you have held a child in your arms as a mother and experienced that unique bond, Christ was hers in a very unique way. Isn't that powerful? And when you really think about it, what's the God of the universe doing Including teenage girls in the a teenage girl in the middle of his big plan of salvation. Isn't that just astonishing? I mean, don't you get the sense of what Mary must have felt? Who am I that God would do this? And so, in a very unique, in a unique way, Christ was hers. She would conceive him miraculously, carry him naturally, and then give birth to him in the manger. What a wonder and what an honor. In fact, folks, you know what? Repeatedly, Luke's gospel says that Mary, as these things unfolded and happened to her, do you know what Luke says throughout the gospel? He says that she treasured these things in her heart. She pondered them constantly with humility and gratitude. And her lasting honor is that she will be called blessed because through her son would come the blessing of salvation to all people. Isn't that wonderful? That because she is blessed and the blessing is not her, but the blessing is the son that was given to her and through her came into the world to save us. And so in that sense, Spurgeon says, that we as, we as Protestants and Baptists should not be afraid to say that Mary certainly was a special young woman because of what God did in using her. In fact, you see that in Luke 11, it's on the screen. And as he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. A reference to the, 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 the unique special role that Mary had. But Mary concludes this, this declaration of the favor that God has shown with a summarizing point. And notice in the, the very last part of verse 48, or verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He who is mighty, don't, don't ignore that, has done great things for me. He's done great things for me. I find it interesting that despite her role, she boasts only of God. Only of God. Who did great things for her? The one who is the Almighty. The God whose name is holy. The God whose name is hallowed. The God who is separate from all that He's created. Who is pure and righteous and yet has invaded the created realm with favor and kindness that Mary has personally received. And he has done great things. He, the God, who can do anything he wants. And Mary experienced that. What are the great things that she's referring to? Is Mary just talking about like, you know, just subjective things? No, I want you to see that when she says great things, these are objectively great things. Again, go back to Gabriel's announcement. A virgin would conceive. That's a great thing. Because only God could do that. 
Only God could overshadow the natural processes of, of, birth, of, 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 of pregnancy and then childbirth and then his son be born. Only God could do that. She would birth the son of God, the heir of David. That's a great thing, isn't it? Her son will reign forever, a great thing. And Mary would 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 watch him grow, watch him die on the cross, see him rise again from the dead, and watch him ascend into heaven. Oh, what great things he had done for her through this son. And I love it because she personalizes it here. Great things he's done for me. He came for me. He was born for me. He lived a sinless life for me. Paul says he loved me. And he died on the cross for me. He was put in the tomb for me. He was raised from the dead for me. He was ascended into heaven for me. He rules and reigns for me. He intercedes for me. He has given me the Holy Spirit. Now you might say that sounds very self-centered, but every believer, we all can say that he's done that for us and that us includes me and you if you're a believer. Isn't that glorious? That you and I can go home and we can thank God for all of the great things that he has done for us and we can personalize that with Mary. And so, the song applied is this. Doesn't that make you want to sing? Doesn't that make you reflect on what we just sang just a few minutes ago? As Pastor Dan and the worship team led, led us in song, uh, we were singing of the great things that God has done for us. So sing with joy, brother and sister, over all the ways that God has shown you favor through Jesus. Make a list of the great things that he has done. And always start objectively with what we know he's done in history. Right? Because those things are the rock-solid evidence that God is for us and not against us through Jesus Christ. But there's a second thing that I want you to observe. He has extended mercy and strength, verse 50 and 53, through 53. And so we have first, he has shown favor. Mary, in that part of her song, is talking about herself. But Mary is not writing a modern-day worship song where we just shut the lights off and stand in our alone corner and we just sing songs like we're singing it to someone we know that we like or likes us. That's not what Mary's doing. Mary is reflecting on the eternal plan of God as it is unfolding in her individual life, but she can see the broader picture. That what God has done for her is the unfolding of a plan for all people. Not just her. And he has extended mercy and strength. Look at verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation there. He's extended mercy, not just to me, but to all who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength. There's the second thing. Strength with his arm. His power. He's demonstrated his power. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Mary now expands her song to show that what God has done for her extends to others. 
He's extended provided mercy. Through Christ, God now extends mercy to those who fear Him. That is, any sinner who comes to Him admitting need for mercy will receive it. God is quick to show us what we are slow to grant to others. Mercy. Mercy. And this mercy Mary sings about extends from generation to generation. In other words, what Mary is singing about is this, is that there is nowhere God's mercy will not go, and there is no one mercy cannot reach. And Mary puts herself in the front of that and says, if mercy could reach me, then mercy can ex- extends from generation to generation. There's nowhere mercy will not go. There's no one mercy cannot reach. And isn't that the whole point of Christmas, of the incarnation, of the birth of Christ? Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born, born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself. That is, he lowered himself. He stooped down to reach us by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That is, the Son of God, he humbled himself by being born into the world, by by. By, by entering into the world, by coming to this earth, he humbled himself. The condescension of the eternal Son of God shows how great his mercy is. Christmas is all about the mercy of God coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. But notice the second theme here, which dominates this section of the song. He displays powerful strength. Look at Mary sings of his power and strength. It echoes much. If you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 2 and you read there Hannah's song, you can see how the Old Testament informs what Mary is singing. God scatters the proud. Let's just summarize it. Are you ready? God scatters the proud. He brings down the mighty and he expels the rich. Did you get that? That's what God does. That's his strength. Scatters the proud, brings down the mighty, and expels the rich. The very things, listen to me, the very things that men put their hope and trust in, God destroys. He has done this in the past. Mary certainly would have in mind, with her own biblical knowledge and biblical literacy, she would would have had in mind Pharaoh's army. Remember what happened? They were crushed by the walls of water that fell upon them in the midst of the Red Sea? Or how about the walls of Jericho toppling at the very blow of the trumpets? Or how about Nebuchadnezzar, the great king in Babylon, who was brought so low that he became like a beast in the field for God to demonstrate his strength and his power? Mary says that this is what he does. He scatters the proud. He brings down the mighty. He expels the rich. He topples all the things that men put their confidence in. And God has always shown his people that knowledge and power and wealth, hear me, it cannot save you. It cannot save you. 
God will destroy the proud, those who put their hope in those things. Because those that put their hope in their own strength, in their own ability, in their own power, in their own wisdom, they are trusting in themselves. But God will bring them down, but he will lift up the humble. Is that what he said? Is that what Mary says? He lifts up the humble. He fills the hungry with good things. In other words, what God is doing in the cosmos is he is reversing what the fall has done. And nothing could show this more than the way he, Christ was born. Nothing could show this more clearly. In the way that Christ is born, the maker, the maker made man. The infinite takes on a finite status in flesh. He does this by entering the eternal, entering into time. Folks, that's the gospel. God has come in Christ to rescue us because we cannot save ourselves through our wisdom, through our ability, through our wealth. The gospel crushes man's pride, confounds human wisdom, condemns human morality and self-righteousness. Isn't that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly, through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And what do we preach? We preach Christ. Wait a minute. God saves people through the birth of his son to an obscure teenage girl in, in Israel? 2,000 years ago, God saves us from our sin through His crucifixion on a Roman cross meant for the execution of criminals? Wait a minute. God saves us through the glorious, just incredible resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Yes, that's how God saves us. God does not save us through our works, through our morality, through our efforts. He saves us through His Son. And that humbles us. Is what it does. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. And listen to this. Everything that man boasts in. His intellect. His understanding. His power. His social status. His influence. His righteousness. His morality. His ethics. His code. Every one of them is utterly demolished. By the son of God. Wow. This goes, the gospel runs against everything that is natural in us. True wisdom, true knowledge, true power, true fulfillment, true salvation comes through Jesus Christ. And while there will one day be a physical dimension of what is sung here about the hungry being filled... One day there will not be famines, and there will be no more hunger. And one day there will, uh, when, you, when you look at what she says in the scattering the proud through their hearts and exalted those of humble estate, not, there will no longer be poverty. That day will come in the kingdom that is yet ahead. But what Mary is first and foremost communicating to us, or the Holy Spirit through Mary, is that when we admit the poverty of our souls, when we confess our inability to save ourselves and we embrace Christ, 
we are filled with good things. Wow. Good things of mercy and his strength. So you know what? You know what we do with that part then? He has extended mercy and strength. So then let us sing with joy because of the mercy and strength he has shown by sending Jesus. What are you trusting in? Your own strength? Your own ability? Or are you trusting in him? In the God who's extended mercy and the strength of salvation through the coming of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's summarize her song so far. She sings because he has shown favor, kindness. She sings because he has extended mercy and strength. But there's a third thing that just kind of ties it all together. He has kept his promises. Look at verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Isn't it beautiful the way that Mary concludes this song? Mary concludes her song by celebrating God's faithfulness to keep his promise. Let let me just tell you this. Mary knew her Bible. From the beginning of this to the very end of this, she knew her Bible. She knew her Bible and the entire big picture of God's work in history. Do you know your Bible like Mary? I mean, Mary's in the house of Elizabeth, and they're talking about all of this. And there has to be reflections about all the promises that have been made. And the conclusion that is drawn by, the obviously, the work of the Holy Spirit is, is that He has helped Israel. He's done it. Here it is. It's happening. But not only has He helped Israel past, in the sense that the Messiah has come, but Jesus has come not just for Jew, but Gentile. So Israel is not just meaning the Jewish people, Israel is meaning spiritual Israel. All who will believe the gospel. He has helped Israel by sending Jesus into the world. Help from heaven has come to God's people. And that help was promised long ago. And notice what it says. He's helped Israel. Look at verse 55. And pay attention to this. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. The prophets. The the books of wisdom. the, The law. Genesis to Deuteronomy. All that God has spoken is now coming to pass in Jesus. The help has come through the appearance of Christ because God has kept his promises made in the law of the prophets. You know, I'm going to give you two verses that I think Mary had to have in mind. And you can go there if you want to. One is Genesis 3, verse 15. Remember what Eve was told in the Garden of Eden after the fall? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now can you see Mary as she sings this song realizing that in her womb is the very one that Eve was told would come. I mean, does that just send chills up and down your spine? Mary is making the connection. 
God is fulfilling His promises that go all the way back to the very beginning. Genesis 12. And I will make you, Abram, a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Mary, in her womb, carries the offspring of Abraham, (laughs) through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed through the gift of salvation. Isn't that astonishing? God is faithful. Maybe I'll give you one more, just for free. Isaiah 41. But you, O Israel, my servant Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you, and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you. I will hold you with my righteous right hand. And in Mary's soul is the realization that God has not cast off Israel. That God has not forgotten His mercies. That God has not neglected everything that he has said and now Mary sings knowing that all that God has promised is now coming to pass because God is faithful you know why that's so encouraging because we're not faithful promises are often broken we do not keep our word we may even have the best of intentions but our word falters and fails But Mary sings because God always keeps His promises and Mary experiences their fulfillment in a unique way with every movement that that child will make as he develops in her womb. The songs of Mary, these these truths of these promises, this song I should say, should give us, I'm going to give, this is free too, just so, just so you know. You know what that tells you? Mary teaches you something about your Bible. This Bible is all about Jesus. That's the first thing. Mary goes back to Old Testament scriptures and interprets those passages through the coming of Jesus Christ. That's how you read the Bible. Two, you can trust your Bible. You can believe everything it says. And you can trust it because Christ has fulfilled all of it. And number three, God is faithful. God is faithful. And what still remains for him to do through Jesus will take place when the Son of God appears in the clouds and comes back in eternal glory. So you know what that means for you and me, church? Let us sing with joy because God has and will Keep his promises. Don't you love Christmas songs? Don't you love them even more after just considering what Mary has sung here in Luke's gospel? You know, I think about old Mr. Dawkins that I talked about in the very beginning. Old, he couldn't enjoy the carols because he didn't believe in Christ. Will you today, if you 
don't believe in Christ, will you believe today? Because believing in Christ will change the way you sing. Because you'll worship him. Mary's magnificent song about her magnificent God is worthy to be sung throughout all the ages by those who believe. So let us sing now with Mary and sing of Jesus. And let's sing with joy for all the great things God has done for us through him. Can you sing of his favor this morning? Can you sing of his mercy and strength? Can you sing of his fulfilled promises? I pray that this morning that you can. And so let's stand and let's prepare our hearts to sing one more time of this faithful God. Let's bow our heads and let's pray as the worship team comes to lead us. And as we pray, if you're here today and you have never experienced salvation, this is in time for you to call upon the Lord. He will save you as you believe in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christian, may your heart be filled with joy as we sing of God's faithfulness to us. Father, thank you that you have been faithful. Thank you for the favor you have shown that we are not worthy of. Thank you for the extended mercy and strength that you have displayed in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And thank you that you have kept all your promises. May that, may that not only warm our hearts, may that enrich our souls so that we will overflow with worship. For the one who's never bowed a knee to Jesus, may that person do that today. And for every believer, may we sing with joy with joy that is welling up from souls that have been saved by your sovereign grace, just like Mary. In Jesus' name, amen.